Now let us turn in God's word to the second book of Chronicles and chapter 20. We read selected verses from this chapter. 2 Chronicles 20, commencing at verse 1. And it came to pass after this also that the children of Moab and the children of Ammon and with them other besides the, beside the Ammonites came against Jehoshaphat to battle. Then there came some that told Jehoshaphat, saying, There cometh a great multitude against thee from beyond the sea on this side Syria. And behold, they be in Hazazon Tamar, which is en, which is Engedi. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord. Even out of all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Then at verse 14. Then upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Beniah, the son of Jeiel, the son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, came the Spirit of the Lord in the midst of the congregation. And he said, Hearken ye all Judah and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem, and thou, King Jehoshaphat, thus saith the Lord unto you, Be not afraid, nor dismayed, by reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go ye down against them. Behold, they come up by the cliff of Ziz, and ye shall find them at the end of the brook, before the wilderness of Jeruel. Ye shall not need to fight in this battle. Set yourselves, stand ye still, and see the salvation of the Lord with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Fear not, nor be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord will be with you. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell before the Lord, worshipping the Lord. And the Levites of the children of the Kohathites and of the children of the Korhites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with a loud voice on high. Verse 22. And when they began to sing and to praise the Lord, uh, the Lord set ambushments against the children of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, which were come against Judah, and they were smitten. For the children of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, utterly to slay and destroy them. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, everyone helped to destroy another. And when Judah came toward the watchtower in the wilderness, they looked unto the multitude, and behold, they were dead bodies fallen to the earth, and none escaped. And when Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away the spoil of them, 
They found among them in abundance both riches with the dead bodies and precious jewels which they stripped off for themselves more than they could carry away. And they were three days in gathering of the spoil. It was so much. In this chapter you have an unusual army and an unusual victory over the enemy. The chapter opens, as we have seen, with the great multitude, the confederacy of several nations that come against Jehoshaphat and the little kingdom of Judah. But the people of Judah, verse 16, are only to go down against them and to witness the deliverance of God. And when they began to praise, verse 22, the Lord turned them against one another. They slew one another, were utterly vanquished, and all that the people of Judah had to do was to gather the spoil. But before this, when the prophets predicted this outcome, King Jehoshaphat urges the people of Judah with words that we read in verse 20. O Judah and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem, believe in the Lord your God, so shall ye be established. Believe his prophets, so shall ye prosper. And so they were commanded to do this thing as they went out against the enemy. It took some doing to go without weapons against an overwhelming force brandishing weapons. They were to trust the Lord alone to do the fighting and to give the victory. But they believed and the Lord fulfilled his word. And so it always is. In the words of Isaiah 28 verse 16, he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Now, of course, we're not suggesting that this is how wartime battles are usually fought. Clearly they are not. Although, remember Cromwell's saying, as his troops went into battle, trust in God and keep your powder dry. Uh, This here was unique. However, it does illustrate to us faith in God. And it reminds us that the prayer of faith can accomplish great things. In 2 2 Corinthians 10 verse 4, we're told that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And faith is one of those weapons, mighty through God, to the pulling down of strongholds. It was said of Mary, Queen of Scots, that she feared the prayers of John Knox more than all the armies of Europe. There is an efficacy in prayer and 
believing God. Well, let us look at this verse, particularly the portion at the end of it, verse 20, where Jehoshaphat exhorts his people, believe in the Lord your God. And let us hear its message to us. First of all, who to believe? The Lord your God. Jehoshaphat refers to him as revealed in a particular way. It's not simply uh, believe in God. He doesn't say that. That would be true as the God of creation, the God of nature, the most high, infinite in power and majesty, almighty God, considers as absolute deity. But this is really only as far as the average unconverted person can go. Because in creation... His eternal power and Godhead is made known and revealed, leaving the unbeliever without excuse. But it's only enough of the revelation of God to bring out their enmity and hostility against him and to hold down the truth in unrighteousness, as Paul says in Romans 1.20. And if the unbeliever is overwhelmed by crisis... Well, there's little comfort because he is the unknown God. This, however, is the God of grace. Believe in the Lord, your God. And that makes all the difference. I wonder if you can say that and think in these terms this morning. He's my God. He's my Lord. You see, this is... Jehovah in covenant with his people. Now there is only one way that God becomes our God in the way of grace. And that is through the Lord Jesus Christ. The one mediator between God and man. And you've got that wonderful verse uh, in Hebrews 13. And at verse 20, which sums it up for God's people, we read there, The God of peace brought again from the dead, our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. You see, if you're a Christian, he's the God of peace to you. He was the God of wrath to his beloved son on whom he laid our sins and offered him a sacrifice, uh, a penal substitute to bear our sins and bear the wrath which we deserved. But he raised him as the God of peace because Christ finished that work and fulfilled all those covenant engagements that he'd made to the Father. And now you see, He is the Lord our God. He is propitious. He is full of goodwill. He is the one who takes pleasure in his people. Our sins, dear friends, are dealt with. We're reconciled to God 
justified in the righteousness of Christ. And God has become our God through all that glorious finished and perfect work. He is Jehovah Jesus. And you see, faith, believing in the Lord your God, involves the understanding. And it is necessary to have a clear view of this gracious one who is the object of our faith. If you are not sure of how he is disposed towards you, there's little comfort in believing in him. But if you are clear on this point because of the gospel and the clarity and the beauty and the completeness and perfection of all that God in Christ has done for his people, if you can see this clearly, believe in the Lord your God. He's become your God. This God is our God forever and ever. God, even our own God, shall bless us. And when you see these things, you see, it's a great comfort to faith. You're believing in one who is toward you in a gracious way. A God with whom you have found favor through our Lord Jesus Christ. So it encourages our faith. And Jehoshaphat knows him in this way. Believe in the Lord your God. This king was a better man than the other kings. When they were menaced by enemies, they either resorted to heathen idols or to alliances with heathen nations. But Jehoshaphat knows that God is our refuge and strength and very present help in trouble. And he calls upon his people to join him in prayer and to look to him for promised deliverance. What a grand thing to be able to do, isn't it? In God's name, we're safe. We go forward. We look to him. We're still before him and we shall see his deliverance. Now, this is something we can do as well, dear friends. And it's always necessary to do. Believe in the Lord, your God. When you pray, believe in him for the answers that you will get either what you have asked for or what you should have asked for because his will is always best. Believe in the Lord your God for the supply of your needs because he can do it according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Nothing is too hard for him. Believe in the Lord your God for guidance. He knows the way you take. He knows the pathway ahead even if it's mysterious to you. He goes before you and is your leader to keep you in the right way if you commit your way to him. Believe in the Lord your God for comfort because in a world that is inhospitable and is lacking in 
comfort, so much of the opposite. He is the God of all comfort, as well as being the Father of mercies. Believe in him, the Lord your God, for deliverance. What is the solution to this problem? I'm in straits. How can this work out? What will be the right course? How is this going to go? Well, the Lord has already purposed it, and he will grant you that deliverance. Is that a marvelous verse, isn't it? Um, which says there in verse 15, I wonder what your great problem is this morning. Look at that verse 15. Be not afraid, nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go ye down against them. Ye shall not need to fight in this battle. Stand still, see the salvation of the Lord. Be not dismayed, tomorrow Go ye out against them, the Lord will be with you. What a grand thing in principle, dear friends. It's true for everything that we face. Go with him and he will be with you and he will sort the matter out. He'll come in for you in his own wise and wonderful way that we've not yet seen. But isn't that faith to believe that which we do not yet see? But to be sure we shall see it because faith honors him believe in the lord your god for grace to persevere and for protection and for friendship and company when you're on your own the savior says the same doesn't he mark 11 verse 22 have faith in god reminds me of something that happened many years ago when uh, I was a young, well, late teenager, and I had some Christian friends at that time I was very thankful for, but um, possessing a car was a rare thing. I didn't have a car, but one of my friends did. And so we always made the most of it, and we piled into it in a way that we'd never be allowed to do these days. And we, we drove everywhere in it, But uh, in those days, it was quite a custom to put a Bible sticker in the rear window of the car. And it was something like, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Sort of transparent sticker with the words on it. And I remember one occasion, the the owner of the car said to us, he said, "I I was really in a... In a, he would say today, in a bad place. It was so difficult. I just didn't know what, what the solution would be to my problem. And then he said, as I was driving along, I looked in the uh, rearview mirror, and of course, what faces out at the back, the right way round, um, not wouldn't be seen the right way round looking at it with the eyes. But in the rear view mirror, of course, it's the right way round. And he looked at his sticker, and what did he see? 
Have faith in God. Ah, that was it. Spoke to him. Such a blessing to him. A reminder to him to do the very thing that he was telling others to do, really. It reminds us too in passing, doesn't it, of how good it is to have Bible verses displayed. I'm not so sure as it's wise to put it in the rear view, uh, in the rear window of the car. It might uh, cause problems. But anyway, have it on your wall at home or on your mantelpiece. Uh, Have the TBS Golden Thoughts calendar there. Look at it every day because you never know how the Lord might speak to you and seal and apply that word to you. Have faith in God. God to whom we look and in whom we believe. So who to believe? And then secondly, how to believe? Believe in the Lord your God There are always certain things to make it difficult to believe. And one of these is the devil's slanders. We know that he is the accuser of the brethren, but he is also the accuser of our God to us. And the first time we meet him in Genesis chapter 3, And the first recorded words of the devil in the form of the serpent there. He said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said? And the very opening, you see, questioning something God has said. And he'll always do that. And when we uh, rest on scripture for the revelation of God to us, because faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, when we seek to believe in the Lord our God in the scriptures, there will always be this, yea, hath God said, the, the The name devil means false accuser. And he is jealous of God with a malignity. And he loves to tell lies. And one way he does it is to try to caricature God to us. And he knew, you see, that if he could shake Eve's confidence in God, in his veracity, first of all, then the way would be open to do more. And she would be shaken. She wouldn't be so steadfast, so confident in God, her maker and her friend. And that the the way would be open eventually for her to doubt everything else about God and to go for the promised thing, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Dear friends, be very careful. You will find, I'm sure, as we find, That as we pray and as we tell God that we're trusting in him and looking to him, there will be that contrary voice in the mind calling into question the rightness, the sensibleness of this kind of thing. And for our faith, there will be that 
unbelieving uh, aspect that will come in the form of some wrong thought about God. We will probably be presented in our minds with a, a God who frowns upon us, a God who is indifferent to us. God is not really interested in me and my problems and my needs, that he's not really the father that he's portrayed and revealed to be in the scriptures. Anything, everything the devil will try to bring to mind to distract us from believing in the Lord our God. Don't believe the old liar, but believe the God of truth and take no notice of what comes from him. The devil, Psalm 103 and verse 4, he daily, uh, he, he daily crowns us with loving kindness and tender mercies, the revealed character of God in Christ, our God, in covenant commitment to us, who is pledged eternally to be a God to us and a father. Believe him and don't believe the devil, that old liar and that blasphemer and that one who caricatures God to us. Our Lord, remember, uh, warns us in Matthew chapter 6, be not like the heathen and their view of God. They think that they should be heard with their much speaking, vain repetitions, this wrong view. Your heavenly Father is not like unto them. And don't you be like them in your view. Believe in the Lord your God. The devil's slanders make it difficult. But we, we break through that by faith. And then secondly, our unbelieving hearts in how to believe. You see, it's not easy to believe. The default is always unbelief. Would that the default was faith. But it's not. The default is always unbelief. Just like the law of gravity means that things drop and go down. And so the law, sadly, of remaining sin is that our hearts go down in unbelief. The evil heart of unbelief that departs from the living God. Such, it goes against the grain to cheerfully trust him and expect from him. And that's why faith needs to be exercised. Because the more you actually exercise faith, the stronger faith will be. You know that when you physically exercise, if I'm talking to someone who does that, uh, if you physically exercise, you've got to do it against resistance, haven't you? Otherwise, there's no point. If you're on an exercise bike, you've got to set it to a harder setting so that you've got to turn the thing against resistance. But it's that that builds up the strength. And faith is like that. You exercise faith against resistance. The resistance of the devil, 
the resistance of our own unbelieving hearts, but that is how faith grows and increases. And so we say in Isaiah 12, verse 2, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also is become my salvation. No benefit to faith if it's so easy. But every benefit for the increase of it because we have these things militating against it. Believe in the Lord your God. And circumstances around us make it hard as well. Jehoshaphat had plenty, didn't he? This huge assembly, the army that had come to overrun him and Judah and Jerusalem. But he didn't look there. Believe in the Lord your God. And look there at verse 12. He says, we have no might against this great company that cometh against us. Neither know we what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. Now, what a good place to be brought to, isn't it? It's not easy or comfortable. We have no power in that that's coming against us. We don't even know what to do. But our eyes are upon thee. Looking to God with the eye of faith. Because you see, faith always sees beyond the circumstances that discourage. Beyond the thing that frightens us. Beyond the thing that cries It will never change and will always be like this. Faith has been called our spiritual optic by which we look to a gracious God. The eye of faith replaces the eye of sense. And we see things differently. Yes, they are what they are, but not always. Because I'm looking to God to change things. And my hope is in him. And as John Trapp puts it, it is the nature of faith to believe God. It will not be, saith sense. It cannot be, saith reason. It both can and will be, saith faith. Because our eyes are upon him. Have you been brought to this place where you come to him in prayer and you say, Lord, I just don't know what to do, what the solution will be, but I'm looking to thee and I'm shut up, wholly shut up to thy presence and to thy faithfulness, thy promises, I'm looking alone to thee. My dear friend, you will not look in vain because the Lord is looking at you and taking pleasure in you being like that 
and he will be the Lord your God and appear for you in his own good time. That word believe there in verse 20 that we're looking at, um, believe in the Lord your God, it literally means to confirm or support. So it means that as we believe, God confirms our faith and gives us the support and helps us to continue like that. As one writer has put it, put out your hand and clasp him and he puts out his hand and steadies you. Beautiful, isn't it? Put out your hand and clasp him and he puts out his hand and steadies you. You might say, but my faith is so weak and so small. The answer is, a weak hand can lay hold of a strong God. It's not the amount of your faith. It's the sincerity and reality of it and the greatness and faithfulness of God that counts. Believe in the Lord your God. And of course, God's word helps us as well in how to believe. You notice that our text is followed by this. Believe his prophets, so shall ye prosper. That's the wonderful thing about the word of God, isn't it? That it brings God to us. It it informs our faith, reveals him, makes him known to us more fully, more clearly. We learn what he's like. We learn that he's real. We learn that he is our God. Believe his prophets, believe his ministers, believe his preachers. Believe the record in his holy word. It's called the word of faith. It strengthens faith and increases faith so that we go out to this God. What a wonderful thing it is, dear friends, to come to God's house, isn't it? To hear God's word ministered to us. What is this for? Well, it's for his own glory, of course, but this is the means of grace. The blessing of God is on his people. The presence of God is amongst us, and he speaks to us and makes himself known through the preaching. And this is how faith is nourished and fed, strengthened and increased. What would we do without the ministry of the word? It's been said And uh, it's a helpful illustration, really, that um, reading the word for ourselves is a great benefit. But having it preached to us is a far greater one. Just like when you're in front of the fire and the coals are burning in the grate and they're glowing nicely. There's a bit of flame. You get some light and heat from it. But take a poker and stick it in the fire and, uh, and then stir up the coals. And then the flames come up higher. And then there's more light and heat. And that's what it's like in the preaching of the word. More light, more heat to comfort us and to bless us. Never be absent from the preaching of the word, dear friends. 
Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. We can't do without it. We live upon it, don't we? And we come to church, I trust, and we say, Lord, oh, that there might be a message for me today. Lord, give me a word for my soul. Oh, that I might hear the master's voice. Oh, that I might see Jesus, the beloved of my soul, that he may take his walks with me in the garden of his church and speak lovely things to me that I might know him more, love him more, trust him more. And oh, a living bright reality. God in Christ, Jehovah Jesus, oh, may it be. And then finally, dear friends, it's a help to us in how we believe when we worship him. And you can't, of course, overlook the fact that all these people had to do, really, in addition to their believing, was to worship. In verse 22, when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushments against the children of Ammon, Moab, and the Mount Seir, which were come against Judah, and they were smitten. And it was when... Jehoshaphat and the people worshipped that the Lord came down and fulfilled his promise. You see, as Psalm 22 verse 3 puts it, the Lord inhabiteth the praises of Israel. When we worship, sing psalms, sing his praise, the Lord comes and makes his habitation and dwelling place in our worship. Staggering, isn't it? What a marvellous thing. Lifting up our hearts and voices in the praises of the inspired Psalms. God makes his throne there. Dwells with us. Makes himself real. Reveals himself. Sometimes it's wonderful, isn't it, how that in singing these words, there's a real opening uh, and other things come into view. And the Lord speaks. We have known him in the praises. It was very much needed in the days of the covenanters in Scotland. And many a story of battles that were fought with the government forces and the men went into battle singing the psalms. One instance when uh, Covenanters fought Claverhouse and his dragoons at the Battle of Drum Clog in 1679, God gave them the victory and they sang the words of Psalm 76 Verses 3 to 5. Their arrows of the bow he break. The shield, the sword, the war. More glorious thou than hills of prey. More excellent art far. Those that were stout of heart are spoiled. They slept their sleep outright. And none of those their hands did find that were the men of might. Worshipping God who gave the victory. When we worship, 
when we're helped to worship, we're helped to believe in the Lord, our God. And we go forth, and like Paul in Acts 27, in the midst of the storm, I believe God. Someone has said concerning a a strong believer, he had a good believing time. Well, may we have a good believing time and know who to believe and how to believe. To the glory of his name. Amen.